our scripture for today will be Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, from the Common English Bible. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burned offerings, with year-old calves? With the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. We're continuing in our uh, vision, identity, mission series uh, called Our Best Foot Forward. And we are going to be discussing and talking about uh, our second value. But before I get into that, I want to read our vision statement and um, dream statement. We are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And as a result of that, we are relational and authentic community where everyone belongs. We are passionate about justice and mercy particularly regarding the marginalized, refugee, and immigrant. We value diversity. We desire to be multi-ethnic, intergenerational, and we encourage diverse, the diversity of backgrounds uh, within our structures, our leadership. Our dream is for all in North Seattle and beyond to experience the grace and mercy of God and to be transformed into the image of God. We believe we are blessed to bless others, so we strive to bless the greater North Seattle community in tangible ways. And I think uh, as we begin to, as we continue to fill out uh, what this means um, in our sermon series, one thing, one theme sticks out that I think will help ground us, and that's the idea of uh, that we are blessed to bless others. We are blessed to bless others. And the image uh, that I've talked about that I have in my mind is uh, of a container, and you're pouring water into that container, and the water just keeps coming and coming and coming until the container fills up and the water overflows and the water's pouring out. And there's so much water that the container can't contain, and the water is flowing out to the surrounding uh, ground and creates pools and lakes and puddles and streams and rivers and people are coming to those bodies of water and drinking and cleansing and washing and gaining sustenance in life. Uh, in God is abundance of love, compassion, and mercy. And as we are blessed uh, by the Father, we become more and more um, like the Father. We're all made in the image of God, as uh, our dream statement suggests. And um, as we become more and more what are, we are naturally, what our DNA within us has, um, we are made in the deep, with the DNA of God the Father. Um, and as he pours into us, we become transformed. And in this transformation, right, we love and bless others in the same way. We are marked, right? We're imprinted um, by God. Amen? Amen. So Micah 6, 6 through 8. This is the prophet Micah. And just a little background and context. Micah was from the southern kingdom of Judah. At this time, at the time that he was prophesying, Judah was the southern kingdom. 
and the northern kingdom was Israel, and they were two different kingdoms. They were split. And um, he was from the southern kingdom, but he was prophesying here in Micah both to the southern kingdom of Judah and to the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, the, uh, the capital was Samaria. In the southern kingdom, you had Jerusalem. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. And if you were to read Micah 4, 1 through 3, um, and Isaiah 2, 2 through 4 together, um, they would be almost identical, right? The mountain of the Lord, every, the people gathering to the mountain of the Lord. Um, so that suggests that they um, either had some influence on one another or one prophet was copying the other prophet or that perhaps there was a school of prophets um, that were kind of working together and prophesying. Um, so that there, there's a lot of similarity in these contemporaries. Um, so in Micah, he's prophesying against Jerusalem and Samaria. And specifically, he's prophesying against the social elite, right? The rulers, the go-getters, the doers, the spiritual leaders, the priests, the prophets. Uh, I said rulers and leaders. And... Um, So when we get to chapter 6, the top of chapter 6, Micah begins with legal language. The reader is placed in a giant courtroom. And God is bringing a charge against Israel and a charge against Judah. This is my indictment. This is my charge against you. And what are these charges? And some of the charges, if you read through... Micah, you see what's been happening. You see the corruption uh, that's been going on. The people covet fields and seize them. They take away house owners' homes. Um, They oppress the householder and those in his house. A man and his estate. That's chapter 2, verse 2. He indicts them further. You strip off the glorious clothes from trusting passerbys, those who reject war. Um, they reject people. They strip the clothes off of peacemakers, right? Because they're so into war. They're so into violence that they steal from the innocents. Um, again, in chapter 2, verse 9, you dr- drive out the women of my people, each from her cherished house, from their young children, and they profit. They turn them into pro- prostitutes and profit from that prostitution. And when we get to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, um, he's speaking uh, about injustice, how the leaders and rulers who should know about justice um, don't. He writes, isn't your job to know justice? Isn't it your job to know justice? You who hate good and evil, who tear the skin off them and the flesh off their bones, who devour the flesh of my people, tear their skin, break into their bones into pieces, and spread them out as if in a pot, like meat in a kettle. And to the leaders, the priests, and the prophets, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, Hear this, leaders of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, you who reject justice and make crooked things all that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her officials give justice for a bribe. Her priests teach for hire. Her prophets offer divination for silver. 
yet they rely on the Lord, saying, Isn't the Lord in our midst? Evil won't come upon us. And what Micah is saying is, you're the type of people that when your priests come, right, and your prophets come, they say, I will preach to you for money, right? I will prophesy to you for silver. And if you give me this, and in fact, you give me enough, I'll tell you what you want to hear, right? And um, before we kind of like stand at a distance and go, yeah, that's so bad. I feel this. I feel this as a teacher, as a leader, as a pastor, as a minister, as a pastor, uh, as a preacher, that there are ways that um, I can trade in the truth, right? The temptation is to trade in the truth, right? To give people what they want to hear, right? Because I want to attract. I want to draw, right? And, and this is what the religious leaders are doing. They're taking bribes, right? They're pay- being paid. And Micah is like, I think Micah's kind of bitter, right? He's the bitter prophet. And he's like, I'm just giving the people the truth. I'm giving God's word. And look at these other people, right? They're getting, they're taking bribes. And their words are like honey. Furthermore, he talks about the commerce and the politics. That even the commerce, the economy and the politics uh, in Judah and, uh, and Israel are corrupt, are unjust. Can I approve wicked scales and bag of false weights in a city whose wealthy are full of violence? Chapter 6, 11 through 12. There is no righteous one among humanity. All of them lie and wait for bloodshed. They hunt each other with nets. Their hands are skilled at doing evil. Officials and judges alike ask for bribes. The powerful speak however they like. This is how they conspire. This is how they conspire. And um, before we all get heavy-hearted, because sometimes when you read the prophets, you can like, get really depressed and be really convicted and feel guilty. One of the things that um, characterizes the voice of the prophets is, yes, they're very convicting. Yes, God brings his case. It's, I have these charges against you, Israel. I have these charges against you. On one side, there's conviction, there's hardness, there's an indictment. The prophetic voice also conveys the loving kindness and mercy of the Father. Amen? There's always comfort. And all throughout Micah, there's this vision of hope. But I will restore you. I will renew you. And in our passage, it's come, right? Don't you remember what I require of you? I require that you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with me, right? And the word require here in the Hebrew, it's not like I demand, like I require you. It doesn't get the full sense of the word. The word is more, I desire for you, right? I desire, like a mother desires for a child uh, or a father desires for his young nine-year-old boy, to behave a lot more, right? I desire for you to come back and remember, remember these things, that what we're about, what you're about, and what our covenant together is about is loving kindness, like being faithful to being loving. Other translations are mercy, loving, um, to do justice, and, and to walk humbly with me to walk alongside me and learn from me and grow from me, right? 
and be your have your heart changed by me. Are you with me, church? Amen. So the the prophets challenged the status quo. That they also lived. Um, Walter Brueggemann, the theologian, says they also lived to generate hope, a firm identity, and create a new future. Right. So it's not all bashing, people bashing. It's also right. Affirm the identity. Affirm who the people truly are, right? And to like inspire, be a catalyst for hope. Come on, come back. I desire for you to come back to where you were. Come back and live as you were made. And we see in our passage, so it's a court case. God is bringing in his, his indictment. And then the speaker, Israel or um, Judah, is saying, what can I present to the Lord, right? I feel guilty. I've been convicted of my sin. What can I bring to the Lord, right? Do I bring him, uh, should I bow down and be humble before him? Should I come with the entirety of my burnt offerings, right? My year-old calves. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and many torrents of oil? I love the call to worship because it kind of contextualized these things. Should I bring my investments, my, uh, my portfolios? Should I bring all of my worship, my best singing, right? And my best Bible reading and my best church going and my best churchy, doing churchy things. Should I bring all of these to me? And in reading this, I'm kind of, because I grew up in the church and I'm a pastor kid, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good, right? right? Isn't that what we're supposed to do if God is mad at us? If God has a charge against us, if I've been feeling guilty inside for what I've been doing, right? I've been, you know, I don't know what I've been doing. But walking away from God, I need to bring my songs. I need to come to church. I need to bring my burnt offerings, whatever those are, my gifts and the talents. I should give money, put it into the offering box. I should sign up for worship team and sing. You know, I should go and feed the homeless. I should do something. And all of these things make sense. And there's things that we preach from up here all the time. Like, let's do these things. Let's be righteous. Let's give all of our heart, all of our time, all of our body, all of our worship to God. To make things right between us and God. And yet, and yet, we see like all of this paradigm. This paradigm is turned upside down because in verse 8, which is one of the most famous prophetic quotes, right? People sing hymns about it in church. People repeat it all the time. Most of us have it memorized, right? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, to embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice. Other translations say mercy. So do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, uh, Walk humbly and uh, love mercy, right? And given the context of everything that the prophet has been saying um, in Micah and in Isaiah, for that sake, for that matter, Amos or Hosea, um, the indictment is about injustice, right? It's about oppression, right? When people turn into themselves, they become more violent, right? They scheme a lot more, right? And leadership becomes corrupt. 
and the poor are, are exploited right, for the sake of the rich. And so um, this is what God is saying. This is what is important to me. Right? This is what is important to me. Right? Not your rituals, not your ceremonies, right? not being good, but that you do justice of mercy and walk humbly. You do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. We only have to do a cursory look of scripture uh, to see that this is indeed God's heart, right? If you read the book of Deuteronomy, or just do a Google search, or kind of a word search in scripture on justice, or mercy, or orphan, or widow, or stranger, just type those in and you'll get a long list of scriptures. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. I'll just read one. The Lord your God is the God of all gods and Lord of all lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God who doesn't play favorites and doesn't take bribes. He enacts justice for orphans and widows, and he loves immigrants, giving them food and clothing. That means you must also love immigrants because you were immigrants in Egypt because you were immigrants in Egypt and if you take a deeper look at the whole chapter uh, 6 of Micah um, he gives all of that history um, the coming out of Egypt Moses his deliverance of the people and he reminds them I've done these things for you and you were strangers in a strange land and so because this is who I am and this is what I care about you too should remember your history you should remember your story, and that story of my blessing to you, of my caring for you, should naturally lend to you loving the stranger and the immigrant. It's interesting, I heard a, a pastor speaking on this passage, um, and just to fill out more context, some people think that this um, Micah is writing in the 7th century BC, which is before you know, Babylonian conquest and the Syrian conquest, right? And so, um, because he prophesied that, like, if you don't shape up, I'm going to send these people to destroy you. And that happens. But a lot of people look at chapter 7 and other places in Micah and say, oh, it's, ex it's in the exilic period, after, while they're in captivity, or post-exilic even, because he talks about rebuilding the walls, right? Building uh, Jerusalem back up. And so... I think it's kind of a mix because there's, you know, when we look at scripture, um, you should look at the layers upon layers that are built on it. Because like, the community, it's the worshiping community of faith that's shaping the scripture. And they're shaping the scripture and um, kind of responding to the prof prophetic voice in their own context, what's happening in that day. And so if we look at the post-exilic, right, they're they've been in Assyria, Syria, Right, and they've come out of captivity, out of exile. They're refugees from Assyria in the land, and they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple and the wall. Remember Nehemiah and Hosea. They're trying to rebuild this, but in the midst of that, right, the internal kind of soul of the people is corrupt, is damaged, is dirty, right, and so. Uh, they aren't the unified worshiping community, and there's a lot of injustice and oppression of the poor and taking advantage of 
the broken situation, right? So that individuals can, or groups of people can get ahead, right? And in the midst of this, God is saying, right? When you're building up your walls, remember that you are strangers and that you are immigrants and you too are refugees. You too are outsiders. You too are the poor. You too are the widow. You too were the orphan. And so, love. Love. Are you with me, church? Amen. So, if you can hit the next slide. Do justice, be steadfast in our loving kindness, and walk humbly. Um, as a church, we stand with the prophets, not with the politicians on CNN or, God forbid, Fox News. Uh, we stand with the prophets, not with the politicians. We don't argue about whether the stranger should be in or out or the refugee, homeless, or orphan is worthy of our taxpayers' money. As the church, we st stand above and beyond that, right, under God's rule, under God's law of justice and mercy. As a church, we are the hands and feet of mercy and compassion in the world. And that's, those are the things that we need to focus on. Pick up a shovel, pick up a person, right? Embrace someone, clothe someone, feed someone. Um, we love and love and love and are faithful to kindness, um, just as Jesus was, just as Jesus did. Um, and then secondly, uh, um, uh, we've been talking a lot about what, what, where do we want to pour our resources? And as God has blessed us, our budget, and financially, as we've been better stewards and in giving has increased, um, as a stewardship team, we've been like, oh, we want to support things that we care about or people that we care about, organizations that we care about that reflect this value of being passionate about justice and mercy, particularly regarding the marginalized refugee and immigrant. Um, and many of us actually grew up in immigrant households, right? And have that uh, experience. And so um, we prayed and, uh, and two, two things came out. Mary's Place, which does ministry to uh, women and children, uh, victims of abuse. And, and World Relief, which is, uh, does ministry with uh, refugees. And one of the things that we talked about as a leadership is we, don't, we wanna support places not just like, here, here's some money, right? And then like wipe our hands of it. But we, want, we wanted to support and partner, right? We wanted uh, organizations we could actually, that are local, that you know, have, are accessible, that we can actually grow in our partnership. And we don't give a ton, you know, we're a small church and we don't have a like huge, like we can put it on, you know, Spirit 105, we're doing this big like outreach, nothing like that. We're just a mustard seed, right? And we're just gonna slowly grow into our vision. Um, but we, uh, we are beginning our support of Mary's Place and World Relief. And that's going to be a part of us serving and giving um, to the things that we believe in and um, to what God has a heart for. Also, 
as a part, and we'll, we'll go into this more, as a part of our summer rhythm of serving, worshiping, and playing, partying, um, each month in the summer, we're going to uh, do a service project or serve uh, people in some way. So we have that coming up the week of, I think, June 11th, the second week of June or the third week, one of those. Um, we'll be serving this summer. And so that's another way um, that we want to be faithful to do justice and love mercy. Um, and finally, uh, the third point that I want to make addresses walk humbly with your God. The ministry or that uh, doing justice and being faithful to be loving kind, to have loving kindness is actually where we grow spiritually, right? That's spiritual formation. And that's kind of a shift from what we usually think of when we think of spiritual formation. When we think of spiritual formation, we think of like, you know, meditating on the word, right? Prayer, spiritual disciplines. And all, those are all part of it. But I think where the Western church maybe misses the point is in, through the ministry of reconciliation, through the acts of mercy and compassion, our hearts are shaped and formed. Amen. We are spiritually formed by those things. Um, so we spoke about uh, being an authentic community of people. That's our first value. We are an authentic uh, community where everyone belongs. We're invitational. We're hospitable, uh, which is, if you look at it, is anti uh, what Micah was indicting the people about, right, of Israel and Judah, right? Rather than being closed off, rather than um, exploiting people, we want to be hospitable, invitational, and serving of people. Um, as we speak about justice and mercy, how are we to be shaped to become a people who embody? Right? How do you become just people, just communities? How do you become merciful, compassionate people? Right? When I look at my heart, I'm like, I'm really selfish. And I'm probably have like 0.22, you know, percentage of narcissism, right? And I'm looking out for my, myself a lot of times. But how can God shape me to be a merciful, compassionate person, right? And that's by walking humbly with our God, right? And what does that mean, to walk humbly with our God? What are some of the spiritual disciplines um, that can help us walk humbly with our God. One thing that someone, a mentor once told me is, one thing that you can do to really shape yourself and form yourself is to practice downward mobility on a regular basis. I'm like, what, what does that mean? And, and what he said is basically practice reverse ambition. If my natural inclination is to rise, right, everyone, in some way or another, wants to climb the ladder, wants to get better, wants to go up and to the right, right? In society, in our careers, in our studies, in my, my sports playing, right? I want to go up and to the right when I'm actually going down and to the right. Um, we all want to rise. We all have ambition of some sort. But what does it look like to pause in those and actually turn against that? Right? and choose to lower ourselves or choose to consider the other person better than ourselves. 
choose to let others go ahead of us. It's like, ah. Or in Seattle traffic, let the people cut in front of you. It's like, no. Right? But in that pain of like, oh, they got ahead of me. Right? This is a metaphor, but it kind of isn't. <laughs> right? Your heart is changing. It's shifting. Right? Um, reconciliation. Cross-cultural living. Right? Practicing the art of reconciliation. Right? It takes a lot of humility to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you teach me? If you really want to walk humbly and grow and be shaped by that, make it a practice to like be reconciled, to keep short accounts and actually like be humble and not just say I'm sorry, forgive me, and like just so you can have it off your plate, but like I'm sorry, forgive me, I wronged you, and then let them like tell you how how they, how you hurt them, right? And just sit in that like. I was wrong and just sit there <laughs> that's very humbling that's very sh- shaping and then cross-cultural living most of us have friends and people who are like us right who are of the same social background the same cultural background the same ethnic background even uh, but to be intentional about engaging with people who are different than us who are other um, on their turf, even. Not, not just being like, come over here, right? And I like, whatever, drink bubble tea with me. Well, bubble tea's my favorite thing. Might not be their favorite thing. Okay, I'll eat this with you. Let's go to where you want to go. Um, practice the discipline of repentance and confession um, before God, before community, before trust ones. This is where I've sinned. This is where I'm sh- I have a shortcoming. Can you hold me accountable? Um, and practice relinquishment, right? Of our time, of our resources, our money, our material goods. Like, give it away. Like, if you find yourself obsessing about something or you really are counting your coins in a certain matter, try the opposite and just give that, those coins away. Or, you know, give that whatever it is. Or, or uh, give your time to something else. And see how you're changed. See how um, you're humbled. See how you're made more open. When we walk humbly with God, we tend to see people. Does that make sense? Amen. When you walk humbly, you see other people. When we're not walking simply when we're not, when we're being proud, when we're worried about our own desires and our ambitions or how we're wronged or how we're not getting our fair shake or we're not getting our piece of the pie, we don't see other people. We don't care about other people. We eat other people, in fact. We devour other people. We devour the weak. We eat and eat and eat the weak. We don't even know it, but we are. Is, am I true? Is that, is that right? But when we walk humbly, when we practice some of these disciplines, when we practice downward mobility, reconciliation, practice repentance, practice relinquishment, our hearts change and we become more simple. We become more compassionate. 
We become more merciful and we see people as we don't usually see them. Amen. And when we see people, we see God. We draw closer to God. It was Jesus who said, when you clothe, put clothes on people, on the poor, when you visit the prisoner, right? When you love these people, the least of these, you're loving me. You're loving me. God walks, the spirit of God walks with our neighbors, walks with the poor, walks with the immigrant, walks with the stranger, walks with the widow, the orphan, the prisoner. That's why Jesus, in inaugurating his ministry, uh, quoted Isaiah 61, our Zerubbabel, right? I've come to proclaim release to the captives. And so um, when we walk humbly, we see people and we love people. And in doing so, we become closer to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge to us. And I pray that uh, we will be humble and be able to receive conviction in the places, the specific places in our life um, where we're not, um, we're not reflecting your heart, our image. We're not being an image bearer of you. And also I pray that we can be encouraged as well, not overwhelmed, uh, by the heaviness of these words, but also um, to be to have our identity affirmed and reminded of your vision for the future and how things should be. So I pray this for our church. I pray this as individuals that we can go out and be passionate about justice and mercy um, and to walk humbly with you. In your name, amen.